five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. To get us going here today. How are you? Good morning. Welcome to another edition of 15 Minutes of Flame. You know, I was going to go with uh, David Bowie and uh, 1984, but I decided to go the uh, Jamiroquai route today because it's a pretty cool song, right? And then there's some Buffalo imagery with Jamiroquai. Not in that song, but the artist himself. Um, I'll show you. In case you're not familiar with Jamiroquai, there's some uh, imagery. He likes to wear hats. He's a hat guy. And uh, he has an album where, so there's a lot of uh, cultural uh, appropriation going on with Jamiroquai. Like, I'm not sure he could get away with being Jamiroquai the way he was Jamiroquai at one point in time. Let me show you the, uh, the many hats of Jamiroquai. You know, and there's a comparison with Jamiroquai and our good friend, Jake Angeli. Well, he's not our good friend, but Jake Angeli, the Buffalo Shaman. So let me show you a few uh, Jamiroquai picks. Welcome to 15 Minutes of Flame, if you're listening on the podcast side of things. I'm actually on Jamiroquai's Google page where we're looking at his, there he's with David Bowie. Well, David Bowie check right there. Uh, so, you know, there, here we go. The pro-Trump Viking rioter. He is not a Viking rioter. He was the Buffalo shaman. And of course there's the connection with Jamiroquai. They're making that connection because the hat is where it's at. So he's usually like rocking a fedora, uh, or he's rocking the uh, Indian feathers. Oh, there we go. 31 days of a funky JK hat. So this is on Pinterest. So we go to the Pinterest page. So Jamiroquai, oh, look who's here. There we go. Rocking the buffalo hat. You know, he never really broke through in America. He had that one tune, Virtual Insanity, and uh, channeling his inner Stevie Wonder. But he never really broke through here. I'm not sure why. Huge in Europe. The guy's a megastar in Europe. Tours all, all, tours all over the place. I think he's the son of a jazz singer but uh, channeling the 
Buffalo vibe, which we've been on this whole week. And of course, uh, our president, our resident, our resident in the White House and his uh, phony doctor wife uh, decided that they uh, wanted to pay their respects to the tragedy in Buffalo. You know, the thing that, not a lot shocks me anymore. I mean, when you when you root around the world for for as long as we have, as long as, as, long as we've been rooting around the world, uh, you'll you'll run into a bunch of species speciesish specious specious shit, right? And then the, the the you know the upside of that is like. Other people are losing their minds, and in the upside is like, eh, eh. We've seen this, been there, done that, right? The downside is that it can leave you just a tad cynical, and that you know nothing really punctures through. So there are times when there is something real and big and intense that happens, uh, and like, eh. we'll detach. You know, I learned detachment from Jasper. He is the master of detachment. You are, you are the master of the Jasper is doing fine in the post Rosie era, spending a lot of time with me. So welcome back to the show. We're gonna dive back into uh, Buffalo world here because they're obviously using this as a launching pad. You got, you're gonna have to Figure out where you're going to be. Right, you got that right there. You can just stay there the whole time. And if you don't like it, you can go to the other side where you lay down. You can lay down there for a while. So I went out to dinner last night with uh, my good friends in Fredericksburg. Uh, Lady Artemis and Lord Artemis. <laughs> Uh, so I went to their place last night and I came home and apparently I had not shut my door all the way. So my front door was open when I came home last night and I'm thinking, oh shit, Jasper's out. And, you know, now I've got a whole nother like headache going on with the whole cat thing. And the out, the outdoor cat, Maxie, he was, he was there. But then there was this possum. And the possum is a kind of a young, you know, possums don't live very long. I think they lived to maybe two, about two years old. That's about it for a possum. So this possum, maybe about a year old, maybe eight months old, who knows? Young though, moved, it moved like a younger possum. And the possum was right there on the porch. And I feed, you know, I feed the outdoor cat, his outdoor cat food on that. Possum's out there trying to get the outdoor cat food. Of course the possum is. So the door is open. I'm thinking the possum's going to run inside. Well, it didn't quite run inside. And luckily, Jasper was here. He was here. You were not outside. Running around the, the badlands of the hill country. Because you wouldn't do very well out there. Jasper has no teeth. If you had teeth, you might do okay. Such sharp claws. But he's a pussy. He's a big pussy. You're a big pussy. That's what you are, big pussy. 
All right, so we're going to get back into it. We're going to return. This probably might be the last day. I like to do things in threes, three, six, nine, like Tesla. Uh, so this might be the last day, unless, of course, we have something else that comes up with the whole Buffalo thing. And yesterday, we ended on a real peak with Tom Mix. That was a trip. I did manage to get some footage of the Buffalo Bill Traveling Circus. I'm going to play that today. There's about three clips on YouTube that I was able to find. So I'm going to play some of that today. And uh, I think it's about maybe four or five minutes long. So that'll give you an idea as to what these Buffalo Bill Wild West shows comprised of were comprised of. And it's very interesting. Again, we looked at this yesterday with the timing and how those ended. And then uh, the movies kick in. And then we have Tom Mix, who is the landlord, the, the first person to live in that multi-story log cabin in uh, the Laurel Canyon. And Tom Mix, of course, being born on January 6th. You can't make this shit up. Once you go down the rabbit hole, you're, you're, you're chasing after the golden carrots. All right, let's go to uh, the website here and let's check in with everybody. But first, as I always do, I'd like to talk about True Ham Science, which is a sponsor of the show and got some great reviews in chat yesterday. Somebody, uh, Somebody knows their THS catalog. Yeah, really great. So, so I forget who it was, but they were going right through all the different uh, blends and varieties and giving them ratings. And of course, right at the top of the list was the gummies. The thing, now the cool thing about the gummies, they come in a really nice jar. They come in a ceramic jar. They don't come in a little plastic bag no little plastic bag, no plastic. This is a nice ceramic jar. So when you get the gummies, you're you're getting a jar that you can use again for, you know, whatever you want. It's a good looking jar. It's heavy, solid, right? So you're you're getting an investment in the container as well as the gummies themselves, and uh, they're top notch. So Christopher Lynch, my buddy, runs uh, True Hemp Science and. Of course, the deal here is that if you buy $100 or more through this link on my homepage at 15minutesofflame.com, and I believe it's 15 mins and it's 15 spelled out, that's your code. You'll get $20 of free product with any purchase of $100 or more at True Hemp Science. And I think sometime in the next couple of weeks, We'll do a live show from uh, Chris's pop-up. It's not really a pop-up. I mean, it's a it's a shop, but we'll we'll do a live from Chris's place in Austin. That'll be kind of cool, and uh, maybe we can go through his uh, various blends there. And if we're in the Austin area, stop by. I'll let you guys know. I'll let you guys know that week when I'm doing it. Okay, let's. Uh, Let's check in with y'all, as they say here. Who do we have on the chat side of things? It's always good to see some familiar names, and I know your faces. 
We got my man, Thomas. There is Michael. How are you, Michael? I am not a bot. I am a human. Myra, you are here. Greetings, Myra. There's my man, Ryan, DJMC. What's going on, Michael? No election surprises here. Marxist one company man. Yeah, so it looks like Cawthorn did not make it there in uh, uh, North Carolina. They really timed that uh, that hit on him, right? They timed that hit on him really well. These fucking people, man. The devil's spawn. Uh, last time I checked, Dr. Oz was up by, what, 2,600 votes. Very thin. Kathy Barnett uh, got a lot of the lot of the noise, but apparently did not get enough of the votes. I guess the one upset is the governor of, of Pennsylvania, Mastriano, who apparently is a very hardcore GOP, or even though Trump uh, supported him, recommended him. Uh, and I don't think Trump is really that hardcore, honestly. He's not that. If he was that hardcore, he would have backed Kathy Barnett instead of that fraud, Mehmet Oz. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have here? Elections will continue so long until morale Im improves. That's an interesting sentiment, Mike. Jill Biden reminds me of that character in one of the Batman movies with the mask. I know, right? Well, Bane wore a mask in Batman. Sony's here. What's going on, Sony? Good to see you. Uh, Hannibal Lecter, he wore a mask. Absolutely. Sheila Sampson. Hi, Sheila. Look at that. Sheila Sampson sighting. Tom, you're mixing metaphoric genres. Looks like Musk as savior program is kicking in. Oh, yeah. Now he's a Republican. Now he's a Republican. Yeah, of course. Timothy Hartfield. What's going on, Timothy? The time traveling lyrics in this and Q Shaman on album cover. I know, right? Because JK, Jameer Quiet, liked to rock the buffalo hat. Yeah, I know. The video was cool. I think he was doing a little bit of a takeoff on Puff Daddy. Puff Daddy was doing that stuff right back then. So it was kind of a Puff Daddy takeoff and Puff Daddy was doing a takeoff on 2001 A Space Odyssey. So uh, yeah, but I, I always liked the song too. I mean, the song is funky. It's got a good groove. I never really liked Jamiroquai though. He just, I don't know, man. You know, from afar, and I mean really, he could have been the nicest guy in the world, but he seemed a little insufferable. That's just my ambient take. He was he was uh, no Mike Watt of the of the uh, formerly of the Minutemen, Mister DIY himself. Okay, who else do we have here? Uh, CC Jones, what's going on, Fran? Love this song, right on, Timothy. It's, it's yeah, traveling without moving. I'm glad I, I'm glad I picked dancing like Michael Jackson on Ludes. JK had a few moves in that. That was a pretty cool video. How they got the the conveyor belt to move in two different directions, 
And there is like weird, very weird touches, like the bugs, those black beetles. And then there's that one scene where he's definitely in a padded cell, right? I mean, that's what the whole thing is supposed to be like. The furniture is unwrapped. It's pretty, it's a pretty clever video. Sea Pines talking about Musk's birth, uh, birth giver. Oh, that's funny. That is really funny. Dancing is all in the sneakers. Wendy, the beautiful one is here. What's going on, Wendy? Uh, let's see, Tom is putting a link in the uh, chat. Kelly B, good morning. Krimi's name checking cat and hat programming. He was a big hat wearer. Who else do we have? Hucklebuck411, what's going on HB? Good to see you. Uh, BDR, Aubrey Marcus looks like Buffalo Shaman Guy and Jamiroquai. That might be worth a dive. Aubrey Marcus is, he's uh, really into hallucinogens, right? Is he going to go to Davos? Is he going to trip with Klaus Schwab? Could you imagine tripping with Klaus Schwab? What a nightmare that would be. What a fucking nightmare. Arlene Vega, good morning, Arlene. Good to see you. Uh, Let's see what else we have. Uh, Randy Newman has some great songs. Yes. Let's Drop the Big One is one of my favorite Randy Newman songs. Uh, let's see. The sea pines, short in stature, big in spirit, short in stature. Animals grieve when they lose a friend. Oh, Jasper was, he's been, he was sad. He's been, I can tell you that right now. Here's someone with a pet possum. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen the pet possum videos. They're actually quite lovely, the, the possum as a pet but they don't live very long. So you can't really get attached. You can't get attached to a, to a possum because they're on the clock. Uh, let's see, Queen Lisa's here. Good morning. Somebody graduated? All right, congratulations. Jacqueline, what's going on JMP? Checking in from the tri-state area. Always nice to see Jackie, our resident scorpion queen. Let's see, Trump's influence is fading. To some extent, now we're on to ultra mega, apparently. Uh, let's see, who else do we have here? Anybody else, somebody else? We should group hug. You guys are full of the love today, man. I love it. Oh, look at this. Equicentric coming in strong with the anagrams for Jamiroquai. IJAMRQ. Is that right? Key. IJAMRQ. Or Ouija Key Ram. Ooh, I like that. Equicentric. Nicholas Grimm is here. Morning, Nicholas. Good to see you. There she is, the lovely Beth Berry. Hi, Beth. I just know that Oz, Dr. Ooze, Dr. Ooze, oof. 
creepy. I'm going to take a shower whenever I see these, that guy. Possums are so ugly. Sorry, Robert. Uh, sorry. Hi, Robert. Hi, Jackie. Possums are cute. When they're young, possums are... Possums get ugly when they're out in the wild and they have the, they lose their fur. But if you raised a possum on your own, uh, you you if you would be able to bathe it and feed it, and it would be very cute. When I lived in Point Richmond, I I, I bought this cast iron tub. <laughs> it was. My kid was really young, okay, and he loved taking baths. And I moved into a place with no bathtub. So I said to myself, I'm going to solve that. I bought a cast iron tub. And I, and I lived at the bottom of this kind of long. Well, I didn't live in the bottom of it. My, the place I lived in was street level. But you could get into the backyard by going down these steps. And at the bottom, that's where my deck was. So I had these guys move this cast iron tub out on this out on this little patio. And then in the house, there were outlets for the washer and the dryer. So what I did is I, I put a hose attachment on there. And, um, and it was coming from both of them into one, right? So I could control the hot and the cold. And then I had a hose and I ran the hose um, to the um, big cast iron tub out on the patio. So my kid, I think he was about five or six, he could he could take a bath out there. We had a huge avocado tree. It was, it was kind of cool for, you know, being on the borderline hood. It was kind of cool. And one day, a baby possum, I don't know how the baby possum got into the uh, tub, but the baby possum did. And um, I could have domesticated that baby possum, but I knew that there was a mama possum out there somewhere waiting for her little baby possum to come back home. So um, I liberated baby possum. Cute little thing. When you see them that young, they're pretty cute, I have to say. All right, uh, we're going to get into, by the way, the wind is whipped up here. Oh! Oh, I got some. I got some real insight into the uh, the candidates that got elected here in Fredericksburg. Like there was a mayor and two uh, city council people. I got some real insight yesterday on who's behind them, and uh, I think maybe I'll I'll get into that tomorrow. It's I'm telling you, man. The level of organization, the organization of evil, the organization of evil is, uh, how do I say this? Um, I wouldn't call it admirable, but you step back and you go, wow, that's kind of fucking impressive. It's impressive. what they're So this is interesting. And I'm just going to give a teaser for tomorrow's show because I am going to talk about this. We all know, right, that these Airbnb short-term rentals can become problematic. But we've never experienced anything like this before. And on the one hand, you have a bunch of people that are, you know, capitalists, and they're trying to make money off of properties that they own. They're playing Monopoly, short-term rental, the new uh, disruptor 
right? It's a disruptive economy. Uh, it's upending the whole idea of being able to rent a house for a year or two years, right? So it's become problematic and it's become part of the problem reaction solution. And they're, they're lining up and using the STRs to do everything in their power to fast track Agenda 21 slash Agenda 2030. I'll show you that tomorrow. I'll show you tomorrow what they're doing. Uh, and they were able to piggyback on that issue here in the Hill Country. And uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's scary, but how do I say this? Tyranny that's cloaked in benevolence is terrifying. It's that, that when you see tyranny, you, when you look in the eyes of tyranny, if for instance, you want to look at say, oh, Shanghai, you look at that, be like, wow, that's tyranny. That's tyranny. When they're, when they're bolting people into their workplaces or they're bolting people into their homes or they're testing fruit, right? They're testing fruit for, COVID. There, uh, there was this one guy I saw, they fucking wrapped him up in tape. They wrapped him up in tape so he couldn't move. Like, that's tyranny. You see tyranny out in the open like that. It's terrifying. It's like, holy shit, look at what, look at what they can do to other humans and have absolutely no checks and balances. But what's more terrifying is tyranny that is dressed up in benevolence. That's even more terrifying. Because people have to believe that what they're doing is part of the greater good. And what gives them the, the, the right to determine what the greater good is. That's even more terrifying. Because you can't, it's like, you know what you're up against when you see, you know, dudes in, in uh, white hazmat suits, in blue gloves, and respirators, and, and, and masks. You know what you're up against. But when people are posing as the benevolent solution and the, uh, uh, the, the, the voice of the people in a lot of ways, when in actuality, they've got an agenda and they're going to push, that is terrifying. That is, that is terrifying because that's almost like being gaslit. You look around and go, what, what the fuck are these people doing? Oh, they're just looking after our own, our own best interests. No, they're not. They say they are. But really what they're doing is they're forwarding an agenda and they're gaslighting you and they're fucking with you. That's terrifying. All right. Well, here's where I want to start. All right, let me do this because there's so much. There's so much to get into. So much to get into. Um, let me do this. I got that song in my head. Da, 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 da. Johnny Depp singing Heroes. How about that? Johnny Depp singing Heroes. Okay. Are these people? All right. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. 
There's a reason why I'm talking about Johnny Depp, who, as we know, is uh, in the news almost constantly on a daily basis now. So let me show you a, a Johnny Depp commercial from a couple of years back. And here we go. Must be Amber Heard coming at him. What am I looking for? Something I can't see. I can feel it. It's magic. So See, if you get that, you can smell like Johnny Depp. <laughs> How'd you like to smell like Johnny Depp? I don't think Johnny Depp smells very good. But he smells like sulfur. That's what I think. Anyway, I just wanted to show that to you. Because it, it ties in to this whole buffalo bison, um, ox, longhorn, cow theme. And very early on in the whole COVID drama and COVID nightmare, there was a player who played for the Texas Longhorns. And that player's name was Jake Ellinger. And Jake Ellinger just collapsed. He was uh, he was one of the, let's see, what do we have here? Oh, we got a statement now. He died of an accidental overdose. Wow, really? Oh, this is new. Fentanyl? Wow, for a long time, they did not uh publicized what he died of so this was from october accidental drug overdose caused by fentanyl no cause of death was immediately released and the family uh, statement said they believe he ingested a dose of the prescription drug xanax laced with toxic substances including fentanyl, the spread of counterfeit pills is an ongoing and significant issue throughout our country. Now, he just dropped dead. 
his father, Ross, died at 46 in 2013 with a parent heart attack while competing in a triathlon. So Jake Ellinger was a Texas Longhorn, which is the name of the University of Texas and um, their sports teams, the Lady Longhorns and all that shit, right? Did it, did it begin then? Is that where all this began? The ritual sacrifice of a Texas Longhorn? Or did it begin even further out than that? We're going to take a little look at that before we do. There's another little bit of information that I think is interesting that I will bring up as far as the sinks with Buffalo. And of course, it's in the air. We all know that it's in the air. But that said, the uh, the language and the timing is always interesting. Here's Jason Whitlock, who happens to be a Taurus, symbol of the bull, and his latest episode from last night which was the Biden Buffalo president uses tragedy for political power. And then Deadspin hates white, Deadspin does hate white people, by the way, the Biden Buffalo right there. So it's in the air, right? He's on his way to Buffalo. He goes to Buffalo. He hangs out in Buffalo and gives a speech about racial unity. Now he, of course he wouldn't go to Wisconsin and, Waukesha, where the guy ran people down in a Christmas parade. He wasn't calling for racial unity then. Any, anytime anything happens on the other side of the spectrum, there's no call for racial unity. It's, you have a right. You have a First Amendment right to express yourself, even if you're burning, <laughs> burning Western civilization down. That's your right to express yourself. But now we have to have racial unity. Okay, let's get into this. Um, to me, this is a really fascinating and mind-blowing kind of sink. So we're going to get into William McKinley. Let's go to Britannica here for a little bit. So McKinley's one of those presidents that's incredibly pivotal. And I believe he's also the byproduct of a ritual sacrifice. So we'll get into Britannica and uh, maybe we'll do some Wikipedia here. William McKinley, Born January 29, 1843. He's an Aquarian. Born in Niles, Ohio. Died September 14th, 1901, Buffalo, New York. Now, I'm pretty sure that he 
was shot on 9-11. And then he dies three days later. Of course, three, the magic number, right? So let's, uh, let's go a little bit deeper here into McKinley. And in a lot of ways, he is a sacrifice for the new century. They need a sacrifice for the new century. They need to kill the king. This is a kill the king ritual. And they are baptizing the 20th, the so-called 20th century in blood. Here we go. William McKinley, born January 29th, 1843, Niles, Ohio, U.S., died September 14th, 1901, Buffalo, New York, the 25th president of the United States, 1897 to 1901. That's a four-year term under McKinley's leadership. The United States went to war against Spain in 1898 and thereby acquired a global empire, which included Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines. McKinley was the son of William McKinley, manager of a charcoal furnace and small-scale iron founder, and Nancy Allison, 18 years old, the start of the Civil War. We'll put that in quotes. Uh, McKinley listed in an Ohio regiment under command of Rutherford B. Hayes, later the 19th president of the United States, 1877 to 1881. Uh, he rocked out for four years, promoted second lieutenant for his bravery in the Bantle of Antietam. He was discharged a brevet major in 1865. Returning to Ohio, he studied law and was admitted to the bar in 1867 and opened a law office in Canton, where he resided except for his years in Washington, D.C. for the rest of his life. Drawn immediately to politics in the Republican Party, McKinley supported Hayes for governor in 1867 and Grant for president in 1868. The following year, he was elected prosecuting attorney for Stark County. And in 1877, he began his long career in Congress as a representative from Ohio's 17th District. McKinley served in the House of Representatives until 1891, failing re-election uh, only twice in 1882 when he was temporarily unseated in an extremely close election. Uh, and in 1890, when Democrats gerrymandered his district. So gerrymandering has been going on for a while. The issue with uh, which McKinley became most Close identified during his congressional years was the protective tariff, a high tax on imported goods, which served to protect American manufacturers from foreign competition. While it was only natural for a Republican from a rapidly industrializing state to favor protection, McKinley's support reflected more than his party's pro-business bias. A genuinely compassionate man, McKinley cared about the well-being of American workers. And he always insisted that a high tariff was necessary to, to assuring high wages. As chairman of the House and Ways and Means Committee, he was the principal senator of the McKinley Tariff of 1890, which raised duties higher than they had been at any previous time. Yet by the end of his presidency, McKinley had become a convert to commercial reciprocity among nations, recognizing that Americans must buy products from other countries in order to sustain the sale of American goods abroad. So America was essentially China at that time. His loss in 1890 brought an end to McKinley's career in the House of Representatives, but with the help of wealthy Ohio industrialist Mark Hanna, McKinley won two terms as governor of his home state. During those years, Hanna, a powerful figure 
in the Republican Party laid plans to gain the party's presidential nomination for his good friend. McKinley went on to win the nomination easily. The presidential campaign of 1896 was one of the most exciting in American history. The central issue was the nation's money supply. McKinley ran on a Republican platform, emphasizing maintenance of the gold standard. While his opponent, William Jennings Bryan, candidate of both the Democratic and Populist parties, called for a bimetallic standard of gold and silver. Bryan campaigned vigorously, traveling thousands of miles and delivering hundreds of speeches in support of an inflated currency that would help poor farmers and other debtors. McKinley remained home in Canton, greeting visiting delegations of Republicans on his front porch, giving carefully prepared speeches, promoting the, the benefits of a gold-backed currency. So this is the platform these two guys are running on. They're, they're, they're trying to peg the economy to hard metals. One, looking like a version of a basket of currencies or, or a basket of metals, that would be Jennings Bryan. The McKinley is gold all the way. For his part, Hannah tapped big businesses for enormous campaign contributions. While simultaneously directing a network of Republican speakers who portrayed Bryan as a dangerous radical and McKinley as the advance agent of prosperity, McKinley won the election decisively, becoming the first person to achieve, president to achieve a popular majority since 1872 and bettering Bryan 271 to 176 in the electoral vote. So that's his campaign ribbon. Inaugurated president on March 4th, 1897, McKinley promptly called a special session of Congress to revise customs duties upward. On July 24th, he signed into, into law the Dingley Tariff, the highest protective tariff in American history to that time. Yet domestic issues would play only a minor role in the McKinley presidency. Emerging from decades of isolationism in the 1890s, Americans had already shown signs of wanting to play a more assertive role on the world stage. Under McKinley, the United States became an empire. By the time McKinley took office as president, many Americans influenced greatly by the sensationalistic yellow journalism of the Hearst and Pulitzer newspapers were eager to see the United States intervene in Cuba, where Spain was engaged in a brutal repression of an independence movement. Initially, McKinley hoped to avoid American involvement, but in February of 1898, two events stiffened his resolve to confront the Spanish. First letter written by the Spanish minister to Washington, Enrique Dupuy de Lome, was intercepted and on February 9th, it was published in American newspapers. The letter described McKinley as weak and too eager for public adulation. Then six days after the disappearance of the Dupuy de Lome letter, the American battleship USS Maine suddenly exploded and sank as it sat anchored in Havana Harbor. So more than likely looking at a false flag situation carried 266 enlisted men and officers to their death. Although a mid 20th century investigation proved conclusively that the Maine was destroyed by an internal explosion, meaning that somebody planted a bomb on that ship, more than likely. The pretext to go in and take over Cuba. The yellow press convinced Americans 
of Spanish responsibility. The public clamored for armed intervention and congressional leaders were eager to satisfy the public demand for action. That's how they start wars, boys and girls. In March, McKinley gave Spain an ultimatum, including demands for an end to the brutality inflicted upon Cubans. In the start of negotiations leading toward independence for the island, Spain agreed to most of McKinley's demands, but balked in giving up its last major New World colony. On April 20th, 420, Congress authorized the president to use armed force to secure the independence of Cuba. And five days later, it passed a formal declaration of war. In the brief Spanish-American War, a splendid little war, in the words of Secretary of State John Hay, the United States easily defeated Spanish forces in the Philippines, Cuba, and Puerto Rico. Combat began in early, early in May and ended with an armistice in mid-August. The subsequent Treaty of Paris, signed in December 1898, ratified the Senate in February 1899, ceded Puerto Rico, Guam, and the Philippines to the United States. Cuba became independent. The ratification vote was extremely close, just one vote more than required than the required two-thirds reflecting opposition to many anti-imperialists to the United States acquiring overseas possessions, especially without the consent of the people who lived in them. What a novel idea. Although McKinley had not entered the war for territorial aggrandizement, he sided with the imperialists in supporting ratification. Ratification and terrification, bit of an anagram. Uh, convinced the United States had an obligation to assume responsibility for the welfare of an alien people. Where have we heard that before? The desire to care for the less fortunate was characteristic of McKinley. Well, the guy's an Aquarian, so I guess he's got a soft spot for the unfortunate and indigent of the world. And was nowhere better illustrated than his marriage. McKinley married Ida Saxton in 1871, within two years, the future first lady, witnessed the deaths of her mother and two daughters. She never recovered and spent the rest of her life as a chronic invalid, frequently suffering seizures and placing an enormous physical and emotional burden on her husband. So this is sort of the inverse of Roosevelt, who also, by the way, is an Aquarian. Yet McKinley remained devoted to her and his unflagging attentiveness earned him additional admiration from the public. Renominated for another term without opposition, McKinley again faced Democrat William Jennings Bryan, the presidential election of 1900, turn of the century, very big moment in time here. McKinley's margins of victory in both the popular and electoral votes were greater than they were four years before because the United States is kicking ass and taking names. Winning wars, tons of prosperity, second industrial revolution. This guy is presiding over the beginning of the Gilded Age in America. No doubt reflecting satisfaction with the outcome of the war and with the widespread prosperity that the country enjoyed, which I just said. There's the big mistake right there. Following his inauguration in 1901, McKinley left Washington for a tour of the Western states to be concluded with a speech at the Pan-American 
Exposition in Buffalo, New York. Cheering crowds throughout the journey attested to McKinley's immense popularity. More than 50,000 admirers attended his exposition speech in which the leader who had been so closely identified with protectionism now sounded the call for commercial reciprocity among nations. So the uh, industrialists had uh, gotten them a little bit. It's like, okay, you're a man of the people. You're a man of the people. You've done a good job. You brought some prosperity. Now you're going to have to let some of these other products in here so that theoretically your prosperity can get bigger. And if you don't, we'll turn you into your wife. McKinley delivering his final speech, Buffalo, New York, September 5th, 1901. So he was shot on September 6th. So that would be 9-6, a little inversion here, fatally shot the following day. Now, I had heard that he had died on 9-11, but it says uh, the 14th. Let's just get into this a little bit. The following day, September 6, 1901, while McKinley was shaking hands with the crowd of well-wishers at the exposition, Leon Chiglush, an anarchist, fired two shots to the president's chest and abdomen. Who does that remind you of? It reminds, it reminds me of uh, the guy that, uh, that shot uh, Franz Ferdinand. And a lot of people don't think that Franz Ferdinand was actually shot. The Habsburgs took a fucking hit, especially, you know, his part of the family after that, uh, after that assassination. I guess we could debate that one, but it's the same energy. All right, we'll take a look at Leon in a second. Rushed to a hospital in Buffalo. McKinley lingered for a week before dying in the early morning hours of September 14th. He was succeeded by his vice president, the man Mark Hanna sneeringly referred to as that damned cowboy Theodore Roosevelt. March 4th, 1897 to March 3rd, 1901, one term. There you go, that was his cabinet right there. Let's look at um, Leon Chikloche, an American assassin. Born 1873, Detroit, Michigan. Died on October 29th, 1901. American laborer and anarchist who fatally shot U.S. President Willie McKinley. McKinley died eight days later. Chagloche was found guilty and executed. While various sources, including police documents, list his birthplace. As Detroit, others claim that Chagloche was born in Alpena, Michigan. His parents were immigrants and the family moved often in 1893. Leon was living in Cleveland. He worked at a wire mill. That year, wages were cut, resulting in a strike. Chagloche was fired and blacklisted 
though he managed to get his job back the following year using a different name, Fred Nyman or Fred C. Nyman. The Polish German surname translates as nobody. He's the nobody. The experience left him disaffected and he increasingly focused on inequality between the wealthy and workers in 1898, he quit his job. Some sources claim he had a nervous breakdown and settled on the family's farm. Over the next several years, Jaglos spent much of his time reading radical works, and he reportedly developed a fascination with the anarchist Gaetano Bresci, who fatally shot Umberto I of Italy over the king's repressive policies. In 1901, Jaglos became more involved with the anarchist movement meeting Emma Goldman and members of the Liberty Club. However, he used his assumed name. And when this was discovered, the organization warned its members about a possible government spy. In the summer of 1901, Chagosh moved to Buffalo, New York, where he was hosting the Pan American, which was hosting the Pan American Exposition. One of the many World's Fairs that have been featured in uh, dozens and dozens of Tartarian YouTube channels. On September 6, McKinley was at the Expo's Temple of Music for a meet and greet, which Glosh attended. And when it was his turn in the receiving line, he shot McKinley twice. The president died on September 14th, 1901. Now, I had heard he had died on 9 11. Chiglosh was immediately arrested, and soon thereafter, he confessed to the crime. I killed President McKinley because I'd done my duty. I didn't believe one man should have so much service, and another man should have none. He was initially thought to be part of a larger conspiracy, and several anarchists, including Goldman, were briefly arrested. However, it was eventually determined that Chiglosh acted alone. Do you think he acted alone? Oh. I think Emma Goldman and company knew that they had a uh, they had a live wire on their hands. His trial began on September 23rd, 1901. Of course, that is the autumnal equinox, during which the judge rejected his attempt to plead guilty. So the guy tried to plead guilty, just said, no, mm -mm, not going to have it. The proceedings lasted just eight hours. And the defense attorneys, whom Chiglosh refused to help, called no witnesses. After some 30 minutes of deliberation, the jury found, jury found Chiglosh guilty. He was given a death sentence. He was later taken to Auburn State Prison in West Central New York, where he was killed by electrocution on October 29, 1901. Reportedly, of course, reportedly, his last words were, I killed the president because he was the enemy of the people, of the good people, the working people. Um, let's see, before Chiglosh was buried in an unmarked grave at the prison, his body was covered with sulfuric acid, causing it to disintegrate. Now that is fucking weird. Was he really killed? Was he really killed? Here's a little background on Emma Goldman. Emma Goldman, Kovno, she was born in uh, June 27th, died May 14th, 1940. 
international anarchists who conducted leftist activities in the United States from 1890 to 1917. Goldman grew up in historic Lithuania, in Konigsberg, East Prussia, now Kaliningrad, Russia, and in St. Petersburg. Can we get more here? Oh, I gotta become a member. Emma Goldman is not a good person. <laughs> She's not a good person. She represents the revolutionary, radical, and anarchistic spirit that would become associated with people like Trotsky and Lenin. Uh, so, not really good. Not really good. I guess we could do a bit of a deeper dive on her Wikipedia. Let's just do a quick Emma Goldman. So you can understand her power and influence. She's ugly. She's, a, I think she's a dude. She's a dude. Emma Goldman's a dude. We're in the collar to protect the uh, Adam's apple. That's a fucking dude. How is that not a dude? Oof. That is guy. Sasha and Emma. Growing up an anarchist amongst the remains of Tartaria. She was an icon. Emma Goldman was an icon. More like an eyesore. Let's go into uh, the portrait of uh, Mr. Goldman. Cause of death, stroke. In 1917, Goldman and Berkman, who's Berkman? Is that Sasha Berkman? Uh, let's just go to the top here. Born in Countess, Russian Empire, now Lithuania. To a Jewish family, Goldman emigrated to the United States in 1885, attracted to anarchism. After the Chicago Haymarket affair, Goldman became a writer a renowned lecturer on anarchist philosophy, women's rights, and social issues, attracting crowds of thousands. She and anarchist writer Alexander Berkman, her lover and lifelong friend, planned to assassinate industrialist financier Henry Clay Frick as an act of propaganda of the deed. Frick survived the attempt on his life in 1892, and Berkman was sentenced to 22 years in prison. Goldman was in prison se se several times in the years that followed, 
for inciting to riot and illegally distributing information about, guess what, birth control. Goldman founded the anarchist journal, Mother Earth. In 1917, Goldman and Berkman were sentenced to two years in jail for conspiring to induce persons not to register for the newly instated draft. After their release from prison, they were arrested along with 248 others in the so-called Palmer raids during the first Red Scare and deported to Russia. Initially supportive of that country's October revolution that brought the Bolsheviks to power, Goldman changed her opinion in the wake of the Kronstadt Rebellion, she denounced the Soviet Union for its violent repression of independent voices. She left the Soviet Union in 1923, published a book about her experiences, My Disillusionment in Russia. While living in England, Canada, and France, she wrote an autobiography called Living My Life. It was published in two volumes in 1931 and 1935. After the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War, Goldman traveled to Spain to support the anarchist revolution. She died in Toronto, Canada on May 14th. Oh, that's just, what, uh, four days ago. Uh, 1948-70. During her life, Goldman was lionized as a free-thinking rebel woman by admirers, denounced by detractors and an advocate of politically motivated murder and violent revolution. Her writing and lectures spanned a wide variety of issues, including prisons, atheism, freedom of speech, militarism, capitalism, marriage, free love, homosexuality, Although she distanced herself from first wave feminism and its efforts towards women's suffrage, she developed new ways of incorporating gender politics into anarchism. After decades of obscurity, Goldman gained iconic status in the 1970s by a revival of interest in her life and anarchist scholars rekindled interest. Uh, yeah, so she's a shit disturber. He's a shit disturber. And um, they go after industrialists. Goldman joined Margaret Sanger in crusading for women's access to birth control. Both women were arrested for violating the Comstock law. And of course, Margaret Sanger, one of the founders of Planned Parenthood. So there, she's right in there with uh, Mr. Goldman. Uh, Ga Gavril Princip was the person who was the anarchist and the member of the, I believe, Black Hand, if I'm not mistaken, the Black Hand. And he was the one who theoretically uh, shot Franz Ferdinand. So they're kind of similar, right? There are these weird similarities and Franz Ferdinand is shot at the onset, of, like theoretically, that's why World War One starts. Theoretically, I mean, there's bigger fish there with World War One, but they have to have this change and this ritual sacrifice at the turn of the century, and this is what happens. McKinley becomes the ritual sacrifice of technology. Teddy Roosevelt runs rampant as president, and eventually. Um, who was it though? Was it Harding? I think he fucked up. He became a third party candidate. And that, that's how Woodrow Wilson got in. Thanks to Teddy. And of course, Roosevelt is somebody who 
supports the myth of the Wild West. That damn cowboy. And it takes place in Buffalo. The assassination, the ritual assassination, a ritual murder. It's a ritual murder. And sounds to me like this Chiglos guy didn't die. Like who puts sulfuric acid on a body? And then it disintegrates. I mean, maybe. Sounds to me like it was a hit. Couldn't plead not guilty because then he'd be able to get up and talk about the arrangements that were made for him to do this. Nope, 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 nope. You don't get to plead not guilty. Or was it guilty? Was it guilty? Was guilty? He's going to plead guilty. Nope, can't do it. Your 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 uh, lawyers aren't going to call any witnesses. Eight hour trial, you're done. Sounds rather suspicious, if you ask me. So she she started Mother Earth magazine. Patriotism in action. That's interesting. June 1912. Oh, I see what they're going for here. They're going for irony. Right there. There's Uncle Sam, there's the flag, and that's the American worker who's uh, tied to the ground. And they're going to stick the... uh, He's getting the shaft. He's getting the shaft of the American flag. So this shit's been going on for a long time. Civil unrest, anarchism, identity politics. It's been going on for a while. Nothing new. But that was clearly, because if you, if you look at very specific presidents, for instance, JFK. Now, 1960 is a pivotal year. It's a very pivotal year. And the reason why 1960 is a pivotal year is because, well, I was born in 1960. That's one reason. But it really marks a sea change. This is when Kennedy gets elected. He he gets killed, obviously, in 1963, three years after he's elected, 1122. But 1960... We have, it's the space age, right? Theoretically, the space age. It is the, 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 it is the transistor age. It is when television marks the beginning of the first uh, global candidate with JFK. So 60, 1960 is a big year. Like the 60s are way different than the 50s. The 50s have some similarities to the 40s. They're not too uncommon, although rock and roll is introduced in the 1950s. The 60s are a radical departure. And the death of Kennedy is emblematic of that radical departure. Fast forward 2001, 9-11-2001. We have the ritual sacrifice of the Twin Towers, Building 7. And the occupants of those structures because it's it's the 
the end of an age, right? They, they, are, they are consecrating the end of one age and they're initiating the beginning of another. This is what they did with McKinley. He's, he's being ritually sacrificed for the 20th century. And Buffalo at an expo, ex, exhibition, exposition, and it was the um, the building of music or the temple of music. So the 20th century starts off with a dirge, a funeral march. So we see these things, right? And even when we get to 2020, which is, I think, a very different time. 2020 is a very different time. And then we have another version of this ritual sacrifice, which is the sacrifice of our freedoms. And that's to be a, the beginning of uh, COVID-19. Wanna come over here? Wanna come over here? There you go. Look at it. You've been doing great today. You've been doing great today. Your support has been really tremendous. I might give you a treat today. Would you like a treat? I'm getting, I'm getting the big stare down. Let's check out um, the Buffalo X. Let's, let's check out McKinley. We can find some pictures here. What are you doing? Okay, now you're gonna get into my shirt. Well, this is interesting. It's interesting, right? Um, this happened last year. This is just weird. February 6th, oh, this year, 20, 2022. Maybe we should have seen this coming. Maybe we should have seen this coming. Check this out. Hey, you gotta relax. McKinley High School student was stabbed, not shot, Buffalo police say. Updated March 6, 2022. So there we go. We've got a, uh, a major uh, tactical assault and tactical squad at the local high school. A fight that led to a 14-year-old student being severely stabbed and a security guard shot in the leg outside of Buffalo's McKinley High School shortly after classes let out Wednesday afternoon prompted an hours-long manhunt and a school lockdown. No arrests have been made late Wednesday. Okay. So they have an incident at the high school uh, and nobody is arrested. We are aggressively working this case. We have a lot of investigators on this. Yeah, looking like it's probably in not one of the better neighborhoods of Buffalo. I'm trying not to stereotype or typecast. I wonder how far away this school is from the uh, Tops market. He said there have been several incidents in McKinley recently 
and that the district added 15 staff members to keep the calm at the school. How about this? We were certainly praying for the young man in the hospital. So what happened here? Teen accused of shooting officer in McKinley attack, indicted. So I guess they found their man boy. Name not released. You know what that means. Nine times out of 10. Hmm, wonder what happened here. Interesting. All right, let's go back. But I did want to look at the uh, the McKinley shooting in Buffalo. And that thing came up. That's weird. Let's do this again. Of course, they have a McKinley High School in Buffalo. All right. Let's see what we got here. Somebody pictures, I want pictures. So there are a lot of renderings. This is the temple of music. So the Temple of Music becomes a dirge for the 20th century. This is what it looked like right here. Some photographs of it. Big sprawling, there it is from the outside, the Temple of Music looking very Tartarian. Here's the um, image where supposedly uh, McKinley is shot. And he's probably, he probably is shot. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was some kind of deal going on with the uh, anarchist community and Teddy Roosevelt to get this guy out. It's a beautiful structure, the Temple of Music. Look at that. On 6 September 1901, you can get the print for just $32.83. Boys and girls, they don't make them like that anymore, do they? Nope. Here's another rendering. See, I think this is significant. I think this assassination is significant. It does a lot of things. It brings the Roosevelts into power. There we go. Look at that. Look at all that light. That's the Pan-American Exposition. I don't think that's the Buffalo Exposition. Uh, let's see. 19, yeah, that's it. 1901. Yep. Yeah, I think this is significant. And the fact that it took place in Buffalo, New York... And here we go, another 
theoretical series of assassinations in that place where people are being buffaloed for all intents and purposes. Um, let me see if I can dial this up because this is kind of interesting too. So a lot of you are probably familiar with uh, the Illuminati cards. And there's one Illuminati card in particular. Many of them are quite interesting and having in uh, inexplicable resonance on a consistent basis with current events that were somehow uh, channeled from the past. And this guy, Stephen Jackson, um, had, his, uh, had a shop raided by the FBI. And because they were trying to figure out you know, how this guy did this how he came up with the imagery, which really foreshadows a lot of events that would take place in the near and not so near future. And there's one right here. This is the one I've been looking for. And um, this is funny. Right here. This is an image of fraternal orders. Which is interesting too, right? Because while Bill Cody, AKA Buffalo Bill was a Knight Templar and he was a Freemason. So when I saw this, this is a while ago and I've actually made the connection between this photo and Tracy Martin's father. And Tracy Martin uh, is the father of uh, Trayvon Martin. And he's a Freemason. I mean, there's images of him, you know, in his, in his lodge attire and his gloves and the whole nine yards, right? And it just so happens that Tracy Martin is the same makeup and complexion as the guy in the Illuminati card, which talks about fraternal orders. And what is he wearing? He's wearing a Buffalo hat. Now, Tracy Martin isn't wearing a Buffalo hat. And I brought this image up before, but there is a link. And then of course you have the Flintstones with the Royal Order of the Buffalo, which was kind of a joke, but they were joking right in front of you right in front of you, they were telling you, hidden in plain sight. Not so hidden in plain sight is the uh, video footage of Buffalo Bill's Wild West. So I'm gonna play about five minutes here. This video is 11 minutes long. I tried to download it, but it would not let me download it. I was like, nope, sorry. And this would give you some insight into uh, Buffalo Bill's spectacle and reach. So it starts off with a parade and then we get into there he is, he's going through town. Looks a lot like Buffalo Bill, doesn't he? And uh, here come the Indians. 
Rinse it down. Kind of bizarre. And this would be the story sad. A lot of Indians. A lot of Indians. And here comes the cavalry. Where they're going to reenact the Indian Wars. And these are the beautiful ladies that you'll be able to see. That's a beautiful. She's crossing, isn't she? And then uh, here comes uh, Captain. Oh, here we go. Badges? We don't need no thinking badges. Well, these are the Germans. Look at this. You got the Germans with their little. Uh, High technology helmets there with the spikes on top. Who are these the Canadians? Are these the Mounties? Mounties. Look like Mounties? Mounties. Is that the end of the parade? Oh, we got more. Oh, who do we have here? Oh, we have the Sheiks. Yes. The mystical set. The Hashisha. So basically what you're seeing here is a miniature version of these World's Fairs. I had no idea that the Buffalo Bill Traveling uh, Wild West show was so diverse. A very inclusive organization. A lot of inclusivity there. What are these guys? South Pacific. Look at that. Cowrie Man. All right, this is backstage. Put everything together. We're laying down. There's Buffalo Bill. Getting on his horse. Show us how it's done. The grand review. This is basically a reenactment of what they just did, only for the lucky, lucky people who bought a ticket for this event. And now they get to recreate all these different stories, and especially the story of Blast, which is very important. High degree of cowboy ship, cowboy ship, lasso work. Over from the European action, there's Mongols. Mounties. Oh, we had the, the Japanese contingency. Look at that. We're talking diversity. Whoever said Buffalo Bill was a xenophobe? You can just take this and shove it. This is proof, positive. Buffalo Bill was a man of the world and champion diversity. Look at Here's the cavalry right bareback. Back. Oh, look at that. Two at a time. That's pretty. He's got three at a time. No matter what you think of the fiction here, some fucking skills. We have four horses at once. Now we have Devlin's Zuops. This this is another. Another foreign fighting force that we're looking at controlling those characters. Wow. Good choreography. 
Somebody should make a music video out of this. It's pretty cool. Look at that. Sped up, of course. The photography here is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. Pretty advanced. Look at that. Hollywood and Tom Mix are not They're working out the science here. Lee Baker football on horseback. What does that look like? They're playing football. What are they playing? Is that soccer? Oh, look at that. Cowboys versus the Indians on the soccer pitch or the football pitch. They're creative. You got your trained horses. I think you got your money's worth at the Buffalo Bill traveling traveling circus. Oh, he's going to hunt the buffalo. You know what? We're going to stop that. I don't want to see him hunt the buffalo. You know what's going to happen. He's going to kill the fucking buffalo. Traumatize people. The ritual sacrifice. Which he had not apparently. What's going on here? Are they going to rape the white women? They're going to reenact the Battle of Summit Springs. Of course, we know who wins. Attack on the Deadwood stage. We're going to reenact that. There's the Deadwood stage. Uh oh. Trouble on the horizon. Shots are fired.